And uh, welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts, along with uh, mental performance coach Tim O'Connor. My name is Humble Howard Glassman, the Humble and Fred Show, and uh, we're happy to have you with us as always. That's what we do. You know what brings us joy? <laughs> what? What brings us joy, Howard? This brings us joy. Does it not, Coach Tim? Absolutely, it does. It does. I'm feeling mirth and merriment. And a pleasure to be with you, holding space with you on this telephone line this morning yeah. rather than Skype. Whatever uh, method is uh, we use, joy gets brought. And we're like uh, we're like a joy delivery system. We are. We're, oh, yes. yes. We're, like, we're like skip the dishes of joy. That's right. I can just feel the, the, the joy just going through the phone line. <laughs> uh, this episode... Is brought to you by Adidas Golf Canada, the new Tour 360 2.0s. Recently, I put into play uh, the new uh, golf shoes. <laughs> they are comfortable. They're like, uh, there's like a party going on on my foots. Uh, as well, don't forget the new Ultimate 365 Polo. Visit adidasgolf.ca for all the details. And, of course, tailor-made Canada, number one driver. On the planet, twist face technology. Uh, I was hitting my uh, my new M4 because I have an M3 three with it. I've been using for about a month, and I started hitting my new M4 driver. I did not put it in tournament play because I just got it last Friday. But I uh, I will tell you, sir, there's a uh, there's a few extra yards coming, and uh, maybe that's where we'll begin because you just uh, you're Tim, right? Tim just uh, finished the uh, <laughs> coach. Tim just finished. The tailor-made fitting processes, and uh, maybe you could share with us what that was like. Oh, it was, uh, it was awesome. Once I found the place, for God's sakes, uh, that's another thing. Just GPS ain't all it cracked up to be. Anyway, well, because they changed. Uh, I had to. By the way, I had the same trouble. Uh, I, they had changed buildings, and where that building is situated, it's back from the main road. But uh, I would say to people, if you're going there for a fitting in Woodbridge, uh, call ahead or, or Google map it from their site because it is set back from the road. Yeah, exactly. It was like I, it was like bad old days before GPS, where Tim Tim navigationally challenged as I am. <laughs> you know, once again, oh no, where the heck am I? You know. But anyways, I finally got there, and um, I just love going through that whole process that they have with um, just the way they, they welcome you in there. It's so professional and amazing looking, you know, building and they're just so classy. And I was working with Andrew Lusty, uh, who was uh, the, the fitter there. And um, it's such a cool process. If you have never gone through it, folks, uh, I invite you to do so. It is so, so cool. Uh, with the technology, and you just get this really great feedback, and it's it's just an a, an amazing experience to uh, to really learn how different shafts and weights and things, and just the way things look, how it affects your golf game. It it really is amazing. Um, so, uh, do you mind if I ask you a question? Cool. Yes. Um, when you were in that process. I, I had it done. I've had it, I've been in that lap a couple times, but fairly recently. Do you find yourself starting to change? Because the numbers are so exact, they can tell you all the statistics about your path and 
all the to all the uh, what's that thing called? Trackman. Yeah, thank you. I just lost another word. They can tell you all the trackman. Did you find yourself starting to chase them or or not? Not, not. I didn't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not technically oriented uh, that much. So. I just swing. I just try and make good golf swings. And, and actually what I had to be, what I was conscious of is that I was more conscious of making golf swings rather than hitting the targets. It took me a while to start getting myself to, to swing to the screen. Um, so that was, once I started doing that, I started to free up my swing a bit. So that was the only thing that was really different for me. Well, it's quite the process. And what did you find out? Well, um, the apocalypse has arrived. It, have, it has. <laughs> yes, I have. I've moved to the other side. It is that time in a in a male golfer's life when things change. It's time to adapt, accept reality. It has happened. I've been fitted for regular shafts. There's no shame in that, Tim. I've moved from stiff to regular. It, Huh. I, I knew this day would come, and you know, I just, I, I just sort of detached, tried to accept it, you know. So, so now you can, I moved into officially old guy territory. You can ask me about my bowel movements or whatever's up, you know. <laughs> well, here's the thing: you're a very virile, strong <laughs> leader of men. Thanks. It's just that your shaft needs to be. Me. Your shaft needs to be a bit softer. You know why? In fact, look at it this way. You, this is what you should tell the younger folks. You say, hey, my, my shaft was too hard. They needed to take it down a notch. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, now we're talking ways. It's, yeah, it's the, it's the guy's hour of swing thoughts. It's, oh, man. Well, I just thought it was really funny. Like, uh, it was just like, oh, okay. It, but I just thought every part of you was saying, oh, this is funny. Um, but this is this is the day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. It's like, uh, yes, uh, Tim, I've got some news for you. You may want to sit down for this. What is it, club fitter? Well, we're going to have to get you some regular shafts. You're like, oh, no. Really? Oh, my God. I used to be somebody. Exactly. I used to have, actually have hair on my forehead. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I didn't have to worry if I drank like five beers on a weekend, it wouldn't, re- you know, result in five extra pounds, you know, on Monday. Uh, <laughs> so you're like, uh, so wait a second, you're like, I need, I need uh, regular shafts. Does this outfit make me look fat? Is that what you said? <clears throat> wow. Go, but hey, I work out. And I watch what I eat and everything, you know? I don't have, like, one of those, you know, pregnant guy paunches or nothing. But you know what? I mean, as a golfer, I could tell you, if they said to me, Howard, we can get you five um, extra miles an hour and use this, uh, I don't know, this junior girl's orange whippet shaft, I'd be like, fine. Exactly. I don't don't care what the other fellows say about me as I roasted by them. Yeah. With my super senior shaft. Well, they get sort of semi-serious. So I I had the M1 irons, and I was um, – so we started experimenting with the um, the 790s. And just using the 790s with my with the shaft, my old shaft, I still hit it 10 yards farther. But where the regular shaft, it just allowed me um, 
the, the softness just allowed me to work the ball a little bit better. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a major thing like that. I just no. thought we'd have some fun with it. But No, no um, I, I still want to have some fun with it. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, Boy, not, I'm, done. I'm not done having fun with it. Uh, no, I, I, Tim's I, like, I no, no. Therapist. <laughs> I can see my therapist this afternoon and just debrief it. <laughs> um, I just, so you did get the 790s? Did. Yeah, did. same with me. Up like 10, 10 extra yards, just bammo with well, that. I'll tell you, I've been using them now, I guess, I don't know, less than a month. But let's call it a month. And um, I will tell you, outdoors, you won't, you know, some people, have. I've talked to people that have got them, they've gotten 10 and 15 extra yards. That's how good these golf clubs are. I will tell you, for me, um. Every once in a while, like I've got another six to eight yards out of them just on average, but every once in a while, I will hit this spot. I call it like the super sweet spot where it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it, I look up, this is true. The, I was playing uh, one of the, uh, I was at my own course about a week ago and I had like 175, a bit downhill to this par three, maybe 180. And it was a little bit downhill, a little bit downwind. And I thought, okay, I'll hit 7-iron. You know, I think I can hit it around 170. That's all I want to hit it. And then I saw hit it in the super sweet spot, and I almost flew the green. Like, yeah. it landed. It, I, I, it went to the very back of the green, and I literally walked off. I paced off how much further it went than I thought it went. It, was, it went 185 yards in the air. Like, it was silly. Yeah. A good problem to have, eh? Yeah, every once in a while. <laughs> But uh, congratulations, yeah. they're, uh, they really are. And, and this isn't just Tim and Howard talking about our sponsor's um, equipment, although that, that is well, what we're doing. But it is, I, I just tell you, if you haven't checked them out, if you haven't been fitted, uh, it's a great experience, especially for you golf nerds. If you haven't gone through it, it's something else. Yeah, well, you if you're not playing fitted clubs, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're playing the proverbial one arm behind your back. Yeah. It just, it makes such a such a difference and uh plus the fact that those seven nights look so sweet i i mean they are just a, a lovely looking golf club um they remind me of you know kind of what we used to call muscle backs in the olden days uh but they just look so good and they perform they you know as i said they perform really well so i also got the uh i got an m3 460 uh driver and an m3 uh, uh Tweewood and an M4 hybrid. You are all set. Yeah, same wedges as last year because they haven't changed those. And um, I've been putting well, so don't mess with that one. You know what I did? I got the um, I got a new lob wedge. Sorry, a new uh, gap wedge, oh, yeah. uh, the milled grind or whatever. And I got the high toe uh, 58. Really nice. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get one of those high-toe high toe. things when I play in the Golf Journalist Association of Canada event in a couple of weeks. You know, Timmy, I would say this. Um, I loved the wedge I had before, and I was kind of hard-pressed to give it up, and then I sort of tried this high-toe for a couple of days, and it's it's pretty good. I would say off a really tight lie, if you're one of those people that will still that still likes to hit a you know, a, a, an iron with some loft on it, a gap wedge. It's really good. It, the bounce is perfect, and it, you know, it's not that you can't thin it, but it's harder to thin it for some reason. I think just the way it visually looks. Anyway, uh, congratulations, sir. And I, I let me know when your fun. new when your new babies arrive. I'll send you a note. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get uh, and we're going to get Cam uh, Jacobs on the show. 
and because um, that's uh, it, it's such a cool experience. And he works with uh, tour players like what David Hearn kind of is in town. He works with him and stuff. So um, yeah, we'll get some good stories from Cam. We'll get him on the show. So if we can uh, just uh, segue into the U.S. Open a little bit, and I want to talk about it from a couple of different standpoints. Tim, Tim as most people who listen to us, know, um, wrote about golf for a long time, and I've been a golf nerd my whole life. And there's a couple of things I just wanted to run by you as a fellow uh, senior and a guy that, you know, I remember the U.S. Open as being, you know, a, a tough, golf, uh, tough golf tournament. Lots of times it was one with scores around par or over par and i never had any problem with it and it just seems now that the modern player you know it's a little bit out of fashion now this u.s open they tried to bring some of that back and i know they had some problems at uh shinnecock before in 95 and whatever it was uh, 2004 but i didn't mind the fact and this is what i want to get your comments i kind of enjoyed watching the very best players have somewhat of a similar experience that the rest of us have, which is a <laughs> a constant state of being perplexed. Or flummoxed. Well, yeah, perplexed, <laughs> flummoxed, um, feeling like a nincompoop, you know, yep. the kind of things exactly. that the rest of us experience every time we play. Like some of the, like those guys would hit a shot and would go bouncing off the green and the looks on their faces, I'm like, that's what we all look like. Exactly. Hands on hips. What? What? How come? Why is it doing that? I don't deserve this. I put. I practice so much. I really enjoyed that part of it. I mean, it's (laughs) it's neat watching them. You know, the the best players have themselves tested. And 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 I'll tell you the truth. I don't even have. uh, I don't have a lot to say about. Oh, Saturday was on the edge. So what? Shut your face. Whatever. It's one day. We all we all have played. Most of us play. All our golf lives in a state of confused flummoxness, <laughs> and uh, I liked it. I like what. What about you? Uh, I, I have a. I like to see the players struggle as well. I think I love the fact that they can reconnected to the U.S. Open. It doesn't mean you need to be tied down to tradition the way it's always been done. But what I like about, say, the Masters, it has a personality. You know, we always know the greens are going to be fast and all that type of thing. The U.S. Open has a personality, something to set it apart. And that has been that it's been the ultimate examination. You know, narrow the fairways, grow the rough, uh, and it becomes a, a super test. So I like the fact that the USGA, as compared to Chambers Bay and Aaron Hills, Shinnecock tried to play it tough, and that meant that they were on the edge, you know, as as you said. Mm. So, no, I don't mind that at all. Um, I do think, though, that the USGA uh, screwed up on Saturday with um, with the pin positions and the, uh, the heights of the greens. Um, they they basically blew it, and it's really interesting. The in the aftermath is that. Um, it's really interesting to watch the tour players. Yeah, they're they're having a little uh, hissy fits uh, about it, and I don't really mind it. But I still think that the USGA is trying to find its footing on the right balance between that that examination where it is really tough, and where it gets stupid. And I 
have a sense that's where it kind of played into the the little implosion we watched with uh, with Lefty. Well, I, like, I just want to interject if I can. We can talk, I, and I want to get to Phil in a second. Um, you know, I watched. I was lucky enough to be able to watch a lot of it Saturday and Sunday, and. I don't know that I feel like they blew it. They they made it difficult, and then the weather. You know, I listen to a lot of uh, Hank Haney uh, golf radio on Sirius XM, where the Humble and Fred show is. And uh, Hank is an interesting character. You know, I, I'm not sure what you thought of him uh, when he was Tiger's coach, or he wrote the books, or was Marco Mera's guy. And he's a he's a. What I like about Hank is he's very opinionated. I don't think he's a great broadcaster. In fact, I, I, it's funny because he always gives uh, Brandel Chambly and these guys, he always gives them a hard time. As a bro- but as a broadcaster, Hank's like a 10 handicap. But he does have some interesting things to say. And yep. one of them was, you know, the, the USGA seems consumed, as he said, with making these guys shoot over par. And, and, and what happened there on the Saturday was they prepared for the course in one configuration and didn't have a contingency when the wind blew way harder than they thought. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have any problem with them shooting over par. It just seems like, well, why do they care if a winning score is six under or six over? But they seem to. I think where the the players have a problem with it is that when it becomes more, uh, it more becomes uh, luck, uh, the, the balance ways towards you know that that the ball if it doesn't hit in the absolute precise place it can you know flip off into almost an unplayable or just the penalty seems to be uh, out of proportion for what you know it, it really should be and i think that's for sure struggle. And, and, and you know isn't it interesting at their level and i think we all learned a little bit this weekend at least i did you just learned that on sunday they had 11 pins that were sort of of medium difficult difficulty, right? And those guys shot way under par. On Saturday, some of those pins were in spots that were, as you said, you know, kind of left to the vagaries of the bounce that you got, and and that's why they they got frustrated. But as I began by saying, sometimes it's fun to watch them have the oh, same reaction. Every like I play golf, you'd play golf. Sometimes we hit good shots and they don't stay on the green. So what? Oh yeah. Well, this this connects almost to. Uh, well, this does connect to that workshop we went to um, with Scott Fawcett. Sometimes you hit an amazing shot. It, what you think is a you know you flushed it. It was the way you envision it, and it sails over the green. And then you chunk it, and it lands up two feet. <laughs> you know what? I love that. In, in a practice round uh, earlier this week for my tournament, I hit what I could only describe as a chunk flyer off, the, off a tee. I was on this par three, and I did. As soon as I hit it, I thought I, liter- I, thought I chunked it. And then the way the club sort of bounced into the ball, it was almost like it was a flyer because it went further than I thought it was. And I was like, because, you know, you hit it, and I went, uh. And everyone went, uh, what? It went to like 10 feet. But it was absolutely a horrid. It it felt horrible, but it went fine. And that's what golf is. Yeah. What was interesting, what I kind of went just thinking, just as you're talking about how luck does play a part. But when it came to Sunday, people were saying, you know, Dustin Johnson's not putting well. And, I, I want to talk about the routine he and his caddy had in a moment, but I think the reason that Brooks Kepka won, he just hit it better. He hit it closer. 
and he just, you know, full marks to Kepka, but it's really unfortunate that the ongoing debate about the USGA and also the furor about less about Mickelson has kind of overshadowed it. Well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what, you, t- you take Dustin Johnson's routine, and then I'll begin, you know, my prepared remarks about Phil Mickelson. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought, uh, so, uh, this is kind of silly, way silly, uh, I was at a family function all day Sunday, so I PVR'd it and stayed away from any kind of media, you know, avoided my phone, everything, and then I got home, I was going to watch it way too tired, so I get up 4.30 in the morning and start watching it, and so my point is that, you know, the nice thing about watching, you know, a golf tournament that you've recorded, you can fast forward through the through the slow bits or, you know, commercials. And what I noticed was that Dustin Johnson's putting routine took frickin' forever. Yeah. Uh, and he always gave it that low side read. Uh, he'd wait for the brother to do the uh, aim point thing. They'd have a conference. Uh, he'd get there. The caddy would step away. To me, it was taking forever, and and I think at that level, uh, I don't care whether you're a 10 handicap or a PGA Tour pro, uh, I think you can overthink these things and get in your way and become a little bit too careful, particularly in the moment, you know, back nine in a major, whatever. So my sense was that that, um, Johnson was just way too plotting and, in, in effect, got in his own way to some degree. Um, and, that's, and that's what I have to say. About no, that. I want to. Con- can, may I consider that for a moment? May I have no, the? Even though you're not prepared, you have your prepared remarks. Of no, no, I'm, I want to consider what you just said because I don't know that I. Thinking back on it, I think you're absolutely right. Thinking back on, he seemed to take longer and longer as the, because I watched a little bit of Thursday Friday. He was and he was putting beautifully. <clears throat> Uh, the reason I want to consider that is that, my, you know, if there is a takeaway for one of our swing thought, you know, golf geeks, that would be one of them from Coach Tim. I think that's a good one that, you know, you, you can you can overdo the trying to factor in all the variables. Sometimes you just have to get up and hit it. And as both Tim and I learned at, uh, at the Decade Golf Seminar that, you know, don't get too excited about the line because it's only it's 85 to whatever percent the pace of your putt you know get it near the hole it might go in but he was taking the kind of time you take you know on every putt like it was the last putt or something you know wait uh, my sense was it just you know i can't guess but it just seemed he was trying to be way too precise and the really really you can just do the best you can but the, the i think the key takeaway for 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 our listeners is is that when you're really in the heat of a tournament or you're kind of on the cusp of a career score or beating your obnoxious brother-in-law or something and you really want it, the, the tendency is to, to slow down, get careful, make sure you do it right, and that's just a formula for getting in your own way. And that's when you start to get more tension, uh, your, emotion, your, your emotions are a little bit more volatile, that you, don't, you don't get the result you're looking for. So... It's just a lot. Just go through your same routine and do your best and, and let it go. Uh, I, Bob Rotella, um, you know, the really probably the, the key guy who really popularized 
uh, performance in, in golf. He said that as you play around, you want to free it up and free it up. That, so the really by the 18th hole, you're swinging as free as you can all day and playing with a, a sense of trust. And really that is really such a piece of wisdom about how to play your best golf and anything. It's just a free it up and let it go and play in a state of trust. That's what's got you there, so keep it going. Well, I'd like to, uh, if we can, put a, a slight pin in that last thought because I'd like to talk to you, talk to you and, and sort of share you know, my recent tournament experience in a, it through the prism of what you just said, which is free up yeah, cool. trust. Because, you know, uh, that, that totally is not only great advice for our, our friends listening, but it's, you know, something that is an impediment at the level that I play at. And I, and I encountered it again this, uh, this past week. All I wanted to say about Phil, and I, I, know, I know we talked before that we started recording. You hadn't seen it, but you know what he did. He basically, the putt was going by the hole, and he walked up, and he, you know, he, he backhanded it to back toward the hole as it was going off the green. He hit a moving ball. And then he had this little press conference or impromptu media conference where he came up with some bullshit excuse about, oh, I was trying, blah, 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 I know the rules. And then two days ago, we're recording this on, on a Friday. Well, I think yesterday or the day before, he finally apologized saying, you know what, I got frustrated. I don't, I was, I'm completely embarrassed because what happened was, you know, and, and we know this from being parents, you know, there's the incident. And then when you lie about it or make up a, an excuse, it makes it worse. And, and that's kind of what happened with Phil. He made it worse. Well, we, you know, because Phil has got a reputation of thinking he's smarter than everyone. Absolutely. And this was just another one of those, you know, Phil thinking he could come up with a, a thing. And we'd all go, oh, really, Phil? But I will tell you, if it's anybody but Phil Mickelson, he gets disqualified. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's what I want to say. And it's really, I don't, have, my, I don't like Phil, never have. Uh, I started to like him a little bit better. I always felt sorry for Phil, by the way. I think I've said that on Swing Thoughts. I feel sorry for him. <clears throat> Pardon me, because if Tiger Woods doesn't exist, Phil Mickelson is the greatest golfer of his era. You know, right. five majors, 45 wins, all that stuff. But that incident Sunday is, you know, I sound like one of my daughters. It's classic Phil. It's just classic Phil, Tim. Yeah, I, I was really kicked off about it as well because it was just yeah you hit it right that was that was a bullshit explanation trying you know flummox us with his uh with how smart he was and that you know he knew what he said no he didn't he had a little hissy fit and he tried to explain it away and the thing i've never been a huge fan of of mickelson either because i always found him to be uh, here's your big you know ten dollar word for the day disingenuous is that he tries to come off one way and it's and where he really is feeling or doing things in another way. Um, this is going to sound really petty, but my experience with Phil Mickelson when I was covering uh, the PGA Tour and when I was at events like the U.S. Open and the Masters, um, if you were carrying a notepad, you didn't exist. If you had a camera, oh, then come out the uh, you know the Hollywood smile and the thumbs up and everything. So, you know, I just. Again, that sounds petty, but that's what I got. Um, no, it doesn't sound petty because we all experience the world through a, our own, you know, our own story. It, just, just before you, we leave, if I may, McDow Graham McDowell had a great line. He said, I think we all understand as golfers the frustration and just the mental lapse that Phil had in that second. 
<laughs> My favorite line, though, is he goes, it was just Phil being Phil, trying to apply science to madness. You know, that northern iron. He's trying to apply oh, yeah. science to madness, and that's what golf is. Yeah. That's what they should call the game, science as madness. It really is, because that's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying so to... Just, yeah, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, but th- this is where the USGA is is really really seems to be struggling in its in its leadership in the game. You know, they let the ball get out of control. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're not really managing their, their championship very well. Uh, I don't know. They seem to think they can do it all by themselves. I mean, for gosh sakes, they do it, you know, a couple times a year, um, you know, on, on the pro side. But, you know, bring in some other people who really know what they're doing and uh, make some ballsy calls. Well, you know, Hank Haney had an interesting point. He said, "Why don't they? Why doesn't the USGA? Why doesn't the USGA let the local superintendent at Shinnecock, who keeps that place in championship form all the time, why don't they let him set the golf course up? Because he or she knows the course better than the. As you just said, they come in, they do a tournament a couple times a year, and they try and take over the golf course, and that's what happens to it. Well said." Applying science to madness should be the uh, subtitle of this program. I, I, I like it. Yeah, swing thoughts colon. That. The art of applying science to madness because that's what golf is. You know, you had um, one of your people, uh, a friend of mine, um, in a great position to make the cut this week, and then over the course of the last nine holes, madness ensued. You know, I had a. Uh, Ontario Mid-Am. Yeah, I had a, a similar experience. My, you know, momentary, my my moments of madness, <clears throat> excuse me, all happened in the first round, you know, sort of at the beginning of my second nine, I went double bogey, par, bogey, double bogey. And the irony of that par is it was a par on one of the hardest holes on the golf course. In fact, on the back nine in the first day, I parred the three hardest holes in the golf course and double bogeyed a couple of easy ones. And that was it for me. I shot 78, 74, missed the cut by three, and it all came down to an hour or whatever it takes to play those three holes. It all came down to that. You know, I make, you know, and again, you know, we all, we all would have, could have, should have, but I'll just tell you before I share my madness a little bit, you know, I, I was, I was pretty good from, you know, most of the time. It's just that you get it, it, and somebody, my new girl lady friend asked me, she goes, what happens in those moments? I said, I wish I could tell you. I wish I understood. I don't stop trying, but all of a sudden it, it just goes away for 45 minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at that level, that's all it takes. Yeah. My sense is that a lot of times what goes on for people in, in all kinds of pressure situations, it's it's not so much their, their thinking, but they're in a different experience and, and it's and, and their body is definitely moves into survival mode. You know, how do I keep from getting eaten by the saber-toothed tiger? Uh, quite honestly, your body starts to react in different ways, um, and, and it's just harder to control that until you've been in that situation over and over again. So, so Garrett Rank, you know, he comes off uh, the U.S. Open. Uh, he didn't, you know, play, you know, probably to what he wanted to do and not used at all to those conditions and being in that environment. But I think he came out of it going, wow, you know, he got another rep in at a higher level, the highest level he's ever been at. Yeah. And so, so it's kind of like subconsciously 
Um, he's built some evidence. We've talked about that. Where does confidence come from? It's from building evidence and getting your reps in at a higher level. So the more you're in that you know, pressure cooker, that frying pan, the more you get, oh, I'm okay here. But it's almost at a, it really is at a subconscious level, I think, in many ways. Um, you know, I, I know that um, I, there's one thing I love about Azinger as a broadcaster. He's so articulate to begin with, but he's got this great experience. And, and he's a very sensory guy. And he, he talks about how you can, you know, when you're playing out there, suddenly you can feel your pulse in your fingertips and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's your body really experiencing your your body's going through a different thing you're not used to and so it's just really hard to maintain a level of play when your body's kind of in a state of uproar now you know you mentioned garrett uh last summer when i was playing in the canadian mid-am not to drop any names but um you know i hung out with him in regina last summer we went, went out for dinner with a bunch of guys a couple nights and i talked to him you know, we sat across from each other one dinner, and I was sort of asking him, you know, because he is a PGA Tour-level quality type of golfer. He just is, you know, yeah. and, and he's a professional referee in the NHL, blah, blah, blah. And I just said to him, you know, he's close to 30 years old, and he said, you know, I asked him, why didn't you turn pro? I mean, he's obviously of that level. And he was telling me that he just didn't, you know, he liked his life, basically, and the idea of going and scratching it out on the web.com and all that stuff, which he's imminently qualified as a golfer, didn't appeal to him. But I saw him at the beginning of this week, you know, um, we got a couple of mutual friends, and we sat and, you know, shot the, the, the breeze a bit, and I congratulated him for playing in the U.S. Open. I mean, here's the cool thing about golf. I'm 58 years old. I don't do this for a living. Um and there I was in a golf tournament with a guy that played in the U.S. Open the week before, and it was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of interesting, you know, in, in a in the world of the. That's way cool. You know, that's, that's, it, that's that's beautiful. Well, in the world of sports, you know, that's the great thing about golf. I, there's no other sport where I could be playing in anything the same as a 29 year old superstar. The guy's ranked, you know, top 10 in the world, and there I am, you know, hitting putts on the same green. But I, can I tell you a cute Garrett Rank story? Oh, yes, please. Elucidate me. Um, so, me. Tell your story. So we tee off, uh, me and two guys I don't know. One's 37, one's probably 35. And so we tee off in the first hole, first round. And we're walking out there. And some guy's walking with us. For the first couple holes, there's a guy, you know, sort of looks around my age. And on the uh, third tee, we had to wait. And I go, hi, how you doing? He goes, good. I go, what's your name? He says, Mike. I go, which one of these is your kid? Because that's usually the case, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, uh, neither. And I'm like, well, what are you doing here then? <laughs> you know? He said, I just like to, I just like to watch good golf. I go, then why are you here? Why? <laughs> I said, because Rank, because Rank had just teed off about a half an hour before us. So I said, Rank's on this fifth or sixth hole. He goes, I know. I just want to watch you guys for a couple holes. And then he eventually drifted off, and then he went and watched Rank. Anyway, we get to the 17th hole now, a couple hours later, and there's Mike, our gallery. (laughs) uh, Our gallery. Our gallery's back. That's what I said to the boys. I go, look, guys, our gallery's back. And um, on the 17th at Burlington, I I just want to tell you, I hit it so horribly for two days. Anyway... Uh, on a 435-yard hole, now granted it was into the wind, and it's a very difficult hole. I had yeah. 215 in to a, a back right flag into the wind, and really, if I really should have laid up. 
But I will tell you. I would have done. (laughs) I should have laid up and played for bogey, but I was frustrated. I'll be honest with you. I I had had just missed. It's funny because I just missed a birdie putt. Um, and, uh, I was just kind of, I was really hitting it horribly. So my caddy, I had this kid caddy. I had Tom Leonowitz. I brought one of our swing thought guys. He was caddying for yeah, you? And he was great, by the way. Uh, I tell you, it really, really helped me to have somebody to, to talk to, talk the process over with. It was really good for me. Well, no wonder he had a gallery. I'm glad this guy is a caddy. He must be something. Right. So I say to Tom, look, our caddy's back. Anyway, Tom says, oh, blah, 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 215. I do my my decade thing. I'm supposed to aim like 11 paces left. I really should have laid up. He goes, "Uh, so what do you want to do here? I said, I want to hit the green. Like, F this. And I took, uh, I just said, you know, it was the freest swing I made all day. And I hit a uh, hold off, like bunt cut into the wind to about 20 feet. And anyway, all, all you hear behind me is this. <laughs> you hear one guy clapping for me. <laughs> I look over and Tom goes, tip it, tip the hat. And I do. Exactly. It was just, it, honestly, it was one of those things where I, I, I hit it. I, I knew as soon as I hit it, it was going to be good. And then when it hit the green and stayed there, the clapping made me laugh because it was just so lonely. It was, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Anyway, so Garrett Rank yes. shoots 64-64. Uh, oh, it was a very, you know, after playing Shinnecock Hills at 7,400 yards, playing Burlington Golf and Country Club with no wind at 6,500 yeah. yards, and most of it's that 60... In the middle. Well, I was going to say, most of that 6,500 yards is in like three holes. The rest yeah, of it's yeah, yeah. pretty short for those guys. Anyway, well, particularly they can those oh, the, way, the way the young people of today, the way they can bomb it. Oh my gosh! When I played with uh, my university team in BC, we had a couple of rounds before uh, the, the uh, Canadian University Championship, and and whatever I guess Matthew Behan. I mean, this guy's six foot four and twenty years old. So he hit, I hit. We get out there, and one of the guys on the team goes, "Gee, Tim, you can put a strip ball between your." <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Um, one of the guys in my group, uh, very good player, former, uh, he's 37, just got his amateur status back about a year or two ago. First time he's played in the mid-am. Um, you know, he didn't play well for him. I think he shot 72 in the first round, but he hit it like a tour pro. And I was hitting it, like my normal drive, you know, is 250 in the air, roll out 270, 275, sometimes 280. I didn't hit one drive. Over 250 yards in two days. So I was hitting it horribly, and he was hitting it like a 37-year-old former tour player. So there were times, like I would hit like a, and this is the part I want to get to before we finish. I I just couldn't get my miles. My my swing speed was so slow. There were times when he was like 100 yards ahead of me, where normally he should be 50 yards ahead of me. Not, Not like an entire, like I was a lob wedge behind him a couple of times. Oh, I get it. But that's what I wanted to talk a, a little bit about to people and to have you kind of comment on it. The The nature of the game is such, and I had this epiphany this week, that you can't, and I know we've said this a million different ways, you can't think about doing it while you're doing it. And that, the golf swing takes a second. And my problem in tournament golf, and maybe other people's problems in everyday golf, is I'm unable 
to turn my brain off while making the motion. And yet, when we say things like you got to trust your swing and, you know, think about the target, all all of by way of saying that you've just you don't have time to try and remember how to do it while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. No, no, you're absolutely right. You and you can I can tell myself, you know, be externally focused target, but under stress I will revert back to my old ways. This is this is uh, just an air, such an area of fascination for me. Where they're talking golf swings or behaviors between couples or or in the office is that people become aware of something and they want to change and they see the way they want it, but under stress, basically, which is fear, and they want and that's that's really at, at the crux of it. We revert back to old behavior, and it's so hard to 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 change that behavior so it takes such an enormous commitment to to want to change to say okay today i'm focusing on this and then and then it's awareness of catching yourself when you slide back into being careful and i and we've talked about this with you with your tournament experience this year is your thing that you fall back on if you will, tell me if I'm right or wrong here. You start to get a little bit careful. Yes. And you notice that you're not swinging aggressively, and you're not. And, and I loved what you're saying a bunch of times that you know, just let's just take a rip at it. And if I rip it out of bounds, fine. Better to rip it out of bounds rather than to be careful and steer it out of bounds. So, but it's so hard because we revert back to the patterns that we've ingrained, and that's the, the thing that really fascinates me is the level of commitment it takes to to move out of those patterns and to make those changes. So can I ask you a question? Because I, I really have thought a lot about that. A lot about ask me any this. any question you want, young man. Well, I, I, what, what's your... It, so, you know, I look around the guys that I played against, and I look at the guys that I'm sort of in the same age category as, and I wonder, like, you know, they seem to be able to bring their golf swing to the golfing, you know, f- course... On most days, whereas, you know, at at the club level, like I played a tournament at our club on Saturday, the the weekend before the the Ontario Mid Am, and I don't remember hitting the ball any better than that. So I obviously know how to hit a golf ball and propel it toward a target. And then come Tuesday, I literally am swinging whatever my club head speed with the driver I think is 103 102 104 at times I was swinging I guarantee you in the high 90s like I, I it was it was so remarkable and I think to myself what is it that those guys know how to do that I don't I've been taking golf I've been making golf swings since I was 11 years old is is, is it just that I'm so insecure or so fearful that I can't a- allow my natural ability cuz and I don't mean to be braggadocious but I am a very good golf club swinger. I mean, as good as most of the guys that, not the younger guys maybe, but certainly the guys in my age category, I'm good enough to have shot even par there every three days in a row. I, I just am. Now, the reason I... You are. The, the, but why don't I know that? Why can't I just accept that? And why can't I... What you said about being careful, what happens to me is I go from just getting up and trusting the fact that I, I kind of know how to do this to trying to remember how to do it while I'm swinging. Now, this is is wonderful. Yeah. Well, you tell me what is it? What, what's, uh, what's my impediment? Because you know, who could, who has spent more time, 
you know, making golf swings and thinking about making golf swings than me. And yet, you know, I won't lie to you. I was disappointed I didn't make the cut because I felt like that wasn't even an issue for me. No offense. Right. Yeah, I, I, I got it. And, and just the one thing so that people get it is that, um, indeed, Howard, you have, you have a great, great golf swing. Um, so that's not being braggadocious, and I love that word. Um, you got fundamentally, you're really sound, and you know what you're doing. Um, and I love this. This is why this show is so good: is that we get into this type of stuff. This is this is sweet spot for swing thoughts. And so, one of the things that you have going for you that has just paid such huge dividends for you in your life is that you are very smart, and you're very cerebral, and and you're quick. So you're a guy who's lived most of your life in your head. And so that's helped you become a stand-up comic and someone who's able to do, you know, a morning show in which you jump from topic to topic and you need to know things. And so you're, you've got a very active mind. And that can help you, but also it can hurt you in a game which is basically where you need to let your body just go and that your motory, motor and sensory systems just let them free wheel. Because our default system for guys like you and me, it doesn't mean, you know, we're intellectuals. That doesn't mean we're mental candidates and all this. What it means is that, that we have very active minds and that's the way we've gone through the world. So my connecting is, has nothing to do with what you know. You know, the guys that you play with who, who you have just as good as golf, it's not what they know. It's, it has nothing to do with it. It's what they're able to just bring and be. And just have just an easier way to let things go. It's like when shit happens to me that I don't, you know, I feel like I've screwed up in something, you know, I'll mither around it and we're in other people. They let that thing go after 30 seconds. <laughs> so it's kind of a connection to what can we just let go in our lives and just be allow things to happen and, and not, you know, and then not process it and not worry about it. And so I think that's somewhere in that jumble of things I just talked about is I think a lot of people just have a way of being their natural selves and letting things go and their, their bodies just move in a freer way than for other people. And I think the reason why you and I do things like uh, write books and do radio podcasts and things is because we're more intellectual and others do things that, that are more, uh, more based on their ability just to function well in the world in a more natural and easier way, whether that's, you know, using a shovel or a pen or, or being a sales guy. No, I would, I would, uh, and I appreciate your feedback. That's why I asked for it. And, and, I, and I, I get that. And I think part of my frustration, I would say a big part of it is that I can't think my way through this. Because I will tell you, um, on Monday, the practice round, we only got about seven or eight holes in, but I was still on, uh, I'd say, 85% uh, phasers on flush. Yeah. And then on the first tee of the actual tournament, you know, I kind of struggled from the beginning. Now, I will say this. I played the first nine holes, two over par. I think I hit three greens. I was very, very pleased with my ability to just hang in while um, trying to apply science to madness, you know? Uh, and and should I, had I not 
gotten through that little two or three hole stretch where I went five over par. Again, try, like I tried hard. I just it just kind of I was holding it together, and then all of a sudden I made a couple of bad swings and ended up in in double bogeys, but. I did continue. I played the last five holes of that golf course. Again, two of the toughest holes on the course, one over par, because I bogeyed the 18th hole, 145-yard par three. In fact, I did that twice. I bogeyed the 18th hole on the first day from 145 yards, and then I, the, because I started on the other nine, I finished on nine. But my 18th hole the second day I bogeyed from 160 yards because I couldn't hit the green. That's how badly I was swinging. But right. I did... I was very proud of the way I conducted myself because, you know, prior to Swing Thoughts, Howard, uh, would have shot 87, not showed up. But I, I, I knew from the beginning that it was going to be a tough day out in the waters and I had better just keep my head up. And, and I, including the, like the first hole, I hit three horrible shots but made a 20-footer for par. And that was my day. I just kept hitting marginally crappy shots. <laughs> just around. And every once in a while, I'd hit a good one. You know, obviously, I played well enough to shoot 78 with two doubles. But, you know, I, I, the, the frustration, and you can hear it, is I know how to hang in there. I, I, have, I have enough intellect, and I've learned enough from this show and from being around people. Uh, people like you and, and Doolin and all these people we've met, I've learned enough to post a decent score even while the madness is all around me. But I'm frustrated because I feel like I'm ready to not just you know shoot a decent score. I looked at the top 10 guys in the mid-masters category, and I, I know those guys. And I'm going to tell you, I should have been in that. I felt like I could have been a top 10 score. And all I had to do was shoot 373s. Nine over par would have put me in the top ten of the guys forty and over, and that's and, and that's not outside of my, you know, uh, ability. Right. <sighs> Let me ask you though: those, a lot of those guys who are in the top ten, um, you know, how long have they been playing like tournament golf, like at a, at a high level? Uh, quite a while. Okay, and, and uh, do you have the same amount of experience at in provincial championships as they do? I do not. Okay, well that's that's part of it right there, and that's what I mean about getting your reps in at that high level. And that's so so hard to make up that that terrain, uh, just because they've got the more experience someone has playing, you know, under more pressure and and having more than a gallery of one. <laughs> <laughs> um, the more it's just easier to, to, to be comfortable in your body and, and, and to let it go. But let me, let me connect here to, to something. We, let's connect to like uh, my world of writing and your world of stand up and, and that kind of thing. So interesting how I've had many experiences in my, in, as a, a writer where let's say I had an afternoon to write a magazine piece, uh, say five hours. And, you know, I'll, us and you know work on the lead and uh, it doesn't work and you know just grind over it and i'll write a piece and it, it would be pretty good mm-hmm. and sometimes i've had a magazine piece where it's like someone calls me say tim uh someone screwed up i need something from you in like an hour and a half and i will come up with something that's of the same quality 
as the piece that I ground over for five hours. Because mm-hmm. I would just get in my own way with all that time, and I'd be working so hard and trying to do it right. So what I equate that to, like, in the world of stand there's there's you've talked to me about that. You didn't have your best stuff, but you were connecting with the audience, and you made some mistakes. And if at the end of the day the score is did you make people laugh and have a good experience, on that scale it would be deemed a success. And and, the, and that you were like maybe more, rather than trying to think things out and do your routine right, you were just in a flow and reacting to people. I don't know. That's no, um, I I what, I, what I, I totally get it. You know, I, I get um, I totally get that. Like you know, and we've had this conversation professionally and personally. You know, I um. You know, I did some uh, stand-up about a month ago at this uh, fundraiser, and I did 45 minutes like it was. Wow. Well, and, and then a couple weeks later, I did 65 minutes at a keynote. Like, like I, and I, and I, there were moments where I made a, a misstep or I, I screwed up or whatever, but I just kind of roll with it because, because of what you said. I've got experience doing that, so I can be where my body is. It's funny because... Um, my new uh, lady friend and I were talking about this last night, and I told her about the, you know, the frustration of going to the first tee and feeling completely like I'd forgotten how to swing. And she asked me this question. She goes, well, where was your body? Yeah. And I said, uh, I don't really know. Like, it wasn't there. You know, it was somewhere, but it wasn't, I wasn't, and I pretended to do all the things. I took my deep breaths, and I looked at a target, and I said, this is where I'm going to hit it. But in my head somewhere was a voice saying, oh, boy, you better think about taking that club back, and you better go back inside and all that stuff that I, I just don't think about when I'm normally hitting a golf shot. Now, yep. that's what I think pressure does to me. I wonder if it does that to other people. I suspect it does as well. So- Howard, you yes, it does. I can tell you the the, the bulk of the people that I work with, uh, even like you know, I work with plus handicaps, uh, you know, some professionals. It's all the same thing. How do they quiet that chattering mind? It's all the same thing. And so, it's just getting comfortable in their body. It's like just real quick. Uh, I had a player on the university team last year. Uh, she a, a very low single-digit woman player, and she just got on it. She says, I got 30 swing thoughts. I don't know which one to choose, and she was really struggling. I said, how about you just get comfortable and enjoy your swing? She said, enjoy my swing? Yeah, just enjoy it. She started to, so she was got fully just into her body, and it started to happen again for her. It's the same thing for everybody. Dustin Johnson, I think, was in his head Sunday with his putting, more than just allowing it and feeling it. And I think that's the strength of his game. He's just like such this uber athlete. And I have a sense that there was just like way too much going on in his cranium around putting rather than feel it, see it, let it go. Yeah, you know, I um, we're going to wrap up here. It's getting close. But I would say that, you know, I uh, – it continues to be a frustration. Again, you know, I, I have lots of good takeaways from this week. I missed the cut by three, you know, and I didn't have very good stuff. But, I, I again, I was proud of myself how I hung in there. And I and I made some – on this 35th hole, I made a 15-footer. You know, you want to talk about luck versus no luck. You know, I hit lots of good putts. We all hit lots of good putts that don't go in. I hit a, I hit a putt that was – I thought I pushed it. 
In fact, as soon as I hit it, I was like, oh, and then it went in. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. you know, so I was still trying. I thought, okay, I, I don't. I knew that birdie put me about, I think, two or three over for the round, and then I bogeyed the last hole. As it turns out, it, I didn't miss it by one. I missed it by three, but I was still trying is my point. And, and I think yeah. those are good takeaways that, you know, I just have to keep working, you know, and that's the funny thing is now this weekend I'm playing the, uh, what'd you call it? The grandpa club championship, the, uh, <laughs> the, the senior club championship. And, and I'll be honest with you, I came second in the senior last year. I came second in the club championship. So to be honest, if I don't win, I'm going to be disappointed because I want to improve on what I did last year. And I came second last year. That being said, yeah. What's, no, I was going to say, that being said, I know I can't focus on that, but I'm going to be honest with you. Now I'm, like, not comparing myself to rank, but, you know, I played in the Ontario Mid-Am this week, and now I'm going to play in the Glen Karen Senior Club Championship. And I'm more comfortable maybe at that level, and I have different expectations of myself, and I expect that I will probably hit it better than I did at the Mid-Am. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that stands to reason. And all that stuff that you talk about, like, that's, totally natural that you know i would be disappointed not to win i get it you know um but i guarantee you it never in all this stuff particularly golf it never comes down to what you know it's not that you don't know enough it's 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 that it's comfort level it's feeling just in your body feeling okay and i think part of it is um what comes to mind is what uh, guru fred shoemaker says is if we view our environment is somewhat scary. Uh, we can practice freeing it up on the range all we want, but if if the environment is somewhat scary and the results mean a lot, um, that's when we kind of move into survival mode and hang on to the club a little bit too much and just don't allow it to happen. So how that, that, maybe you yeah, totally does. So what's the answer to how do you how do you view the field of play? What do you need to do to view it as less scary, as less threatening? I would say it's a bit of a mind game, but but kind of like this is my house. Uh, I love being here. This is this is just what I've been looking for. Let me at it. I cannot wait to hit this ball. Um, you know, it's kind of like the guy who asked for the ball in the last five seconds of a of a championship game. Give the ball to me. I want to do this. I, I think that's kind of like, you know. It's being excited about it, wanting to do it, as opposed to, oh, I hope I don't screw this up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's beautiful. I, I think a lot of us play. I know I played this last week in a mode of, and, and here's the thing, of, of not wanting to make a mistake. And my club right. head speed, um, you know, uh, showed it. Uh, but the weird thing was, every once in a while, not every once in a while, I mean, I, I played enough decent golf, but you know when you know when it's you know when you're guiding it around, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, but I will say this: I've learned enough uh, from this program, from you, from Doolin, from my friends, to 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 know enough to just ignore the fact that I couldn't hit my driver 225 <laughs> to, to just accept what was there and play with it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I have two, just two recent examples with uh, clients of mine, really good, good players, one a plus handicap, one about a three. And their swing thoughts in tournaments are, I'm going to have fun today. 
I'm going to look around and I'm going to hear the birds and I'm going to feel the wind, you know, on my face. And I'm going to, when I'm talking to my competitors, I'm really going to listen to them. I'm going to have a good time. And they play pretty well, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, and it's not, you know, Oh gosh, I, I hope I don't revert back to my swing flaw and I don't do this, don't do that. It, it's about having fun. And, I don't know. That's as deep as I got. If we could have fun, uh, then then I think that as a side bonus, we could play some pretty good golf. I love it. Tim uh, O'Connor, uh, tell us how we uh, access you at all your various uh, places and, uh, and moments in time. The various mediums. Uh, the key, obviously, O'ConnorGolf.ca is my website. So just go there, and it will lead to other ways in which you can get in communication with moi. Um, same with me. It's uh, humbleandfredradio.com. All the uh, details of the uh, of the little program that continues to chug along now in its 30th great year of mediocre radio. Uh, and speaking of websites, adidasgolf.ca. Adidas Golf, home of the new Tour 360s 2.0 and the ultimate 365 polo. Speaking of DJ, that shirt that he was wearing on Sunday, I have it. I love, you know, Adidas, I'm not much of a fashion guy, but I like what they did with the, 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 the sort of stripe patterns on the front of the shirt, and the back of the shirt has nothing. It's really cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, I love the stuff that they got this year. It's, so it's good. Great. Yeah, really uh, good. Nice little subtle patterning this year. It's not too, I don't know. I love the subtlety of it. And uh, TaylorMade, of course, uh, Coach Tim and I are playing the new 790s. Uh, M3 driver, twist face technology, M4 as well. You know, you really should get the driver, but make sure you get the three-wood as well because the three-wood will go as far as your regular driver. Like, it's bizarre, <laughs> uh, honestly. And um, and I, I've been playing these. This is my second or third year playing the TP uh, golf balls, and uh, I love them. I, I, I know the other golf ball is more popular, but there's a reason that those guys, Rom and, and DJ and, and Rory, are playing this golf ball. Uh, it really does have uh, some great qualities to it. If that's what you're into, you know. Yeah, well, I gave my my university players. Um, we used uh, tailor-made balls last year. I thought there might be a degree of resistance. Uh, no, they all went great. They right all on. were hitting the TP five and TP five X last year. Um, I'm on my way uh, after this weekend. Away, I'm going to. I'm going overseas with one of my daughters for a week, so we'll have to uh, table this conversation for a couple weeks. But I look forward to uh, being with you as always, uh, Coach Tim. What a you're a, it's a, you're a great you're a great friend to those of us in need. <laughs> <laughs> you're just a great friend to all of us. In so many ways, you bring light and merriment to us all. Another episode of the Joybringers is now complete, <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Cheers, bye. Step inside, but you don't see